Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Let me tell you something today. Your enemy will almost always hide in the shadows until he can find a weak spot in your life. He'll lurk in the darkness until he can find a place where he can try to take you down. But don't you worry, honey. God's got his hands upon you. If you're living pure and you're living holy, then don't worry about what the adversary may try to do to you because God's hand will be upon you for such a time as this. myself into a place where God can use me. I don't want to take one day for granted and think, oh, well, today I'm just having a bad day, so I guess I'll throw in the towel. I guess it doesn't matter much today. No, every day matters because every day could be the day that God says, I need you to talk now. I need you to speak up now. I need you to save some people right now. I need you to do my will right now today for such a time as this. chapter 4 verse 13 then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther and this is what he said he said think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place Boy, if that won't knock you down just a peg. If, you, if you're not up for the task, don't worry. I want, you, I want it to be you. But if you choose to walk away and you choose to say no, God will send somebody else to take your place. God's always going to get the job done. The question is, will it be through me? Or will God, through my disobedience to him, have to choose someone to replace me? God's always going to have a church. He's always had a remnant. Will it be us or will he have to replace us? It all depends on whether or not we're willing to step up and do the job that he's prepared us for. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai looks at Esther. She's in a place of position, a place of power, a place of influence. She's a Jewish girl that's become a queen. And her people are on the brink of being destroyed. And her wise sage of an uncle reminds her that you're not here by happenstance. The blessings and the favor that have been shown to you were not just shown to you simply because you are beautiful and you've been chosen, but God has a plan and a design for the place in life that he has put you. I don't think we have any queens in here today, no presidents, I don't even think we have a mayor in here. But God has placed each and every one of you into a position for such a time as this. 
What will you do when God calls on you to open your mouth and speak on his behalf? Amen. For such a time as this. Amen. Lord, we thank you today for what you've already done. We could walk out of here right now at this time, God, and know that your presence has touched us. But God, your word is powerful. Lord, I pray today your word speaks and ministers to us. God, empower us to do the job that you have called us to do as the last day church. God, for I believe here today, God, that you have given us influence and you have given us authority and you have given us placement. God, both as individuals and as a congregation to do what you need us to do in the hour in which we live. Would you say amen as you're seated? God bless you today. The book of Esther is uh, a unique book in the fact that it is the only book of the Bible that does not make mention of God. Nowhere in the book of Esther will you read where God is spoken of or referred to. And so, with that being said, I want to clarify and say just because that God is not mentioned in the book does not mean that he is not involved. I believe that God set aside this very special book to give us the message and make it very clear that our actions as Christians speak much louder than our words ever will. You know what? You can go and you can hear people on YouTube or You can listen to them on radios and broadcasts and podcasts, and you can hear sermon after sermon after sermon. You can hear motivational speeches. You can hear life stories. You can be inundated with just about anything that your heart would desire to listen to at any given moment in the day and the hour in which we live. People oftentimes talk about things, but I am not impressed with so much of what is said as what I am impressed with what is done. For I have lived long enough now to look and see and experience that words can be very cheap at times. That people can talk a good talk, but when it comes to walking the walk, that oftentimes when the critical time comes in their life, what they have said has not brought them into a place where what they do changes anything in their favor. What we say is important. I'm not saying that there's not a a time that we ought to speak up, that We ought to talk about the Lord. We ought to witness. We ought to do the things that that we do. But never is what we say more powerful than what we do. I believe that people are much more inclined to be influenced by the way that you and I live more than what you and I say. I believe that I can go and talk to somebody in a marketplace and tell them about Jesus. But if they follow me through the line and they watch as I berate the one on the other side of the glass or I talk down to somebody that what I have said has just gone right out the window because what I have done has not matched what I have talked about. Therefore, I'm I'm saying this morning that it is important what we say. 
But it's got to be combined with a lifestyle. What we do, the way that we live, the way that we speak ought to just validate everything that we speak and say. Even though God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, he is so intertwined in the story that we cannot stand here today and deny his sovereign leadings on the life of these people. There were some very tough decisions that were going to have to be made. They were going to have to be decisions that were made based upon what they knew God wanted them to do. Lines that were going to be drawn that were God-inspired. And into this picture, into this story, walks a man by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai was simply the uncle of Esther. And when Esther's parents had died, Mordecai had taken it upon himself the responsibility of raising this young little girl by the name of Esther. He took her into his home. He treated her as if she were his own child. He loved her and protected her and cared for her and provided for her everything that she would have need of. He made sure to the best of his ability that he took the place of her mother and father as as good as he possibly could. Mordecai became a surrogate parent to Esther. A surrogate is simply someone who steps in and fulfills a role for someone else who is either unable or unwilling to fill the role themselves. Some of you here today may be stepmothers or stepfathers and you have taken a child in that that maybe you didn't birth or wasn't birthed uh, to you, uh, doesn't have your blood running through its veins, but that doesn't mean that you don't love that child every bit as much as if it did have the blood of your own DNA running through its veins. You love that child. You became the fulfillment of everything that they needed you to be in their life because of someone else who was not able to do that or fulfill that role. The world is in great need of the church to be a surrogate. We have people that walk through our doors that are fatherless. We have people that walk through our doors that are friendless. We have people that walk through our doors that have very little hope. They have very little direction. They don't know which way to turn. They didn't have a good dad and a good mom like I had growing up. They didn't have a dad that would come home and straighten me out when I needed straightened out. They didn't have somebody to be an example for them and show them how to get up and go to work even when they weren't feeling like it. They didn't have somebody that would teach them how to maybe cook a proper meal or or do uh, fold some laundry or uh, keep a house clean or, 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 or a mother, a child. They didn't have those people. But the world is in need of a church that is able to love them as a father and a mother would love them. A church that is able to reach out to those who are very uh, hopeless in their life and give them something to cling to. The world is in need of a church that is willing to reach out and give direction to people that don't have any direction in their life. The world needs the church to be its surrogate. This church fills that role in many ways. I've watched as different ones here become friend to the friendless, 
I watch how you love these little children that pack the place out on Wednesday nights and they come in and some of them aren't as clean as maybe they, they possibly could be and you, you pull up in front of their house and they don't come out the front door with a little suit and tie on. They're not clean. Uh, you're lucky if they have their shoes on. Most of the time they've got dirt and grime on their skin. They've been outside playing all day because somebody there really doesn't, uh, really doesn't uh, put uh, enough effort into their life of training them but they walk through our doors and they find a place where people don't despise them or reject them or cast them off but they find a loving arm they find a Sunday school teacher that'll reach out to them they find people that'll hop in a van and go down the street and pick them up and make sure that they have something to eat and, and hear about the Jesus Christ that died for them this church is a perfect example of what it means to be a loving surrogate to those that need to see and feel and experience Jesus Christ Or K.I. watches as young Esther grows into a beautiful young lady. She's kept herself pure before men and pure before God. Not an easy thing to do because they're not living in a place that is just the moral capital of the world. She's been promoted in a place where no one else is really like her. And yet she's found favor. Not in trying to look like all the other women. But in setting herself aside and keeping her pureness and her holiness and her Jewish lifestyles. She's, she's hung on to these things and she's hung on to God. And that has not made her inclusive. That has set her apart but in a way that she gets noticed. The time comes when God opens the door for her to be elevated in the kingdom. I want to say this today. You'll never be elevated in God's kingdom by putting your own kingdom first. You'll never be elevated in the kingdom of God by worrying about the world's kingdom and your status in the world. Amen. You've got to set yourself aside. You've got to stay pure. You've got to stay holy. But I promise you this, if you'll keep yourself pure and you'll keep yourself holy, you will get the attention of God and there will come a day when God will say, come on up just a little bit higher. I'm going to elevate you to a place where you're noticed and I'm going to put you in a position where you can have power and influence because there are some people in your life that you care about that need to be saved. Yes. Esther respected herself and she respected her God enough to keep herself pure. She's made queen and everything seems to be on autopilot for Esther. She's got everything that she needs. Life is good for this beautiful Jewish queen or so it would seem. She's been elevated. She's not had to compromise. She's been chosen by the king himself. Her uncle loves her. But lurking in the dark shadows is another figure that is her enemy. Somebody that 
probably at this point she doesn't even recognize as her enemy. Let me tell you something today. Your enemy will almost always hide in the shadows until he can find a weak spot in your life. He'll lurk in the darkness until he can find a place where he can try to take you down. But don't you worry, honey. God has got his hands upon you. If you're living pure and you're living holy, then don't worry about what the adversary may try to do to you because God's hand will be upon you for such a time as this. We're never without an enemy who wants to bring our influence to a halt. Even now it would seem we were just having this conversation with someone else from the church the other day. It seems as if we've come under attack. It seems as if sickness has tried to come in and even death has come in and and taken some things from us and I'm not saying that God is not sovereign that God didn't have his hand upon it but I'm telling you this much right now everything that comes against us is not all from God sometimes God will allow some trials and some tribulations to come into our life and there's other times when the devil is on an all out assault against the church because he's scared to death that we're going to be able to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish because we're living in a time such as this today when the church and the world has never needed the church more than it needs us right now. I'm telling you the world needs the church. I think the devil shows up at church every once in a while. I think he gets ticked off when he sees this. Now, that's just a building. That's all that is. That's really not even a building. That's just a picture of a building. That's a picture of a vision. That's a direction that God has given us. I believe that God wants to do some things for this church. It's very obvious we've outgrown our current situation. It's very obvious that that it is going to be difficult for us to expand. And I believe that God, it's his plan and it's his design for us to grow and for us to expand our territories. I don't believe that God wants us to be stifled because because I believe that God wants the Pentecostal apostolic church. Uh, more than that, I believe he wants a place that propagates the gospel of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his truth. He wants it to be the biggest church in town. He wants it to be the biggest church in the county. God wants his truth to be spread. But when God starts blessing and when God starts elevating, you just be sure that there's an enemy lurking in the shadows trying to take us down. There have been so many things that have come, been tossed across our plate here lately, things that that, that we're not used to really dealing with, but we're having to deal with them because they're just there as the fact. Sickness and and problems and, and, and people coming down with things. I'm like, what is going on? I'll tell you a little secret. From my shoulders down right now, I'm covered in hives today. Now, I want to look. What I really want to do is lay this microphone down and look like a dog and start scratching. (laughs) Need to go home today after church if the Lord doesn't heal me and give myself a flea dip or something. I don't know. I got a little red, little red itchy things broke out on me yesterday at work about six o'clock yesterday evening. I was like, what is going on here? And I get up this morning and, and uh, throw my clothes on. I'm like, oh, you know, I, 
uh, go take some hydrocodone uh, spray and put it all over me or something. And I'm, I'm trying to, to preach up here under this attack this morning. I don't believe this is from God. I believe the devil is scared to death and I'm going to preach somebody into conviction this morning and it's going to transform a life and it's going to change your eternal destination. But let me tell you something, honey. I'm not stopping what I'm doing. I don't care how bad I itch. I don't care how bad I feel because God has put us for such a time as this and I refuse to fail when the moment comes for God to anoint his his people and pour out his blessing upon his church. This isn't like any other day. This is today. devil will try to get you to back off and go away and save it for another day. But God's trying to reach somebody today. Trying to help you understand that he's brought you here for such a time as this. That he has a plan for you and you can either pass or you can fail. You can either be blessed and open your mouth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or you can go on your way and live the rest of your life and take your chances. evil man had a name. His name was Haman. He'd also been elevated. <clears throat> been elevated above all the other princes in the kingdom and he had a violent hatred for Esther's uncle Mordecai. So much so that he wanted him dead. It wasn't good enough just to put him in his place. He's, here's, here's kind of the, the back story a little bit. I'll try to Go as quickly as I can, but the king liked Haman. He didn't understand Haman's motives were all out of whack. Haman had evil that was lurking in him. Uh, he was successful, though. Haman, Haman knew how to get things done, and so the king elevated him. And, and not everybody that gets elevated is good and moral and right. We, we can look around ourselves, our own world, and see that even in today's days. There are evil people that get elevated, and this was what was taking place with Haman. But the king, he wasn't a godly man. And so he, he just saw that Haman was successful and he elevates him. And he decrees that everybody, when Haman comes through the king's gate, that everybody's to bow. And so everybody listens to the king and everybody bows. But there's one guy, one guy that knows the backstory here by the name of Mordecai, who happened to be Esther's uncle. Haman comes through the king's gate and everybody else is bowing down and Mordecai is standing there just watching him pass by. Haman's having a real good day till he sees this. He decides, I'm going to kill that man. He develops a bitter hatred. I've always wondered... You know, sometimes the punishment just doesn't seem to fit the crime. Okay, man, go, go give the guy a beat down. You know, take him, throw him in jail for a week and, you know, kill him? Seriously? You're going to kill him because he wouldn't bow? What? You ever had those things when you look at it and you scratch your head and you say, there's got to be more to this story somewhere. 
There's something deeper. There's some deeper issues that are going on in, in the background here that I'm not privy to. I have some things I don't understand, but I know one thing. There's more to this story than what meets the eye. And that was what was taking place here. You see, sometimes the answer for a present problem is found by looking in the past. And so if you go back to chapter 2, you'll find where uh, Mordecai's lineage is listed. And it tells us that he comes from the family of Saul, who had been king over Israel until he had become so disobedient that it cost him the throne. The Bible tells us who Haman was. Esther chapter 3, verse 1, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Now, if you're just skimming through this and you're reading, you're going to read right over this. But if you start doing a little bit of digging, and when you start trying to figure some things out and you delve into the past a little bit, there's some things that could come up that sometimes enlighten us and help us understand what's really taking place. The Bible says that Haman was a descendant of Agag, king of the Amalekites. Now, this same king and his entire kingdom had come up against Saul and his kingdom, and God told Saul, who was the king of Israel, I want you to completely destroy Agag. I want you to destroy his kingdom. I want you to destroy everything right down to the, uh, to, to the animals that are in the kingdom. Don't spare anything. You wipe them all out. They're your enemy. They're your mortal enemy. Don't you leave anybody alive. Saul chooses to let one man live. 1 Samuel 15, chapter 8 through 9 says, But Saul and the army spared Agag. Agag, again, was the king of the Amalekites. And he spared the best of the sheep and the cattle, the the, the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. But God told him, destroy it. But God, it's good. There's nothing wrong with this. We can use this to feed your people. What's the point? This seems like such a waste. And God said, destroy it. There is going to be some times in your life when God speaks to you and he tells you to get rid of some things in your life that seem to be harmless. As a matter of fact, you may even look at them and say, these are simply good things. How can I destroy these or get rid of these? And God says, I know the future and you don't. I can see what's going to be born from this and you can't. You destroy it now or come back and try to destroy you again in in the future. Don't hang on to things that God tells you to get rid of. The Bible says they, these, they were unwilling to destroy completely. God tells you, hey, get rid of that. And you, and you go through it and you shuffle through and say, I'll get rid of three quarters of it. But these two are my favorite and I'm going to hang on to those. What harm could they, they do? I'll tell you, they can do a lot of harm. Destroy it completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Everything that they had no use for. Oh, that old rotten thing. Yeah, go ahead and destroy that. Throw that in the fire. Burn that. Kill that. The weak stuff, kill that. The the disease stuff, kill that. But man, it feels like a waste to destroy this. Let's hang on to that. Surely God's got this wrong. God knew what he was doing. 
I'm sure there's some sitting under the sound of my voice today. You can relate to getting rid of stuff. I'm going to clean out the garage tomorrow. What do we really do? We throw, throw two things away and rearrange everything else. We just take this from over here and we go and we set it over here. And we take this from over here and we turn around and we set it over here. And we don't get rid of anything. It's hard to get rid of stuff. You know that, that ball of yarn that's been sitting there for the last 25 years might just come in handy. We might need that one of these days. I'd have to learn how to knit again. We hang on to stuff. Who's got a junk drawer in your house? Everybody. We can't even, we open up our junk drawer like this and we'll, we'll try to get open. It's like. <laughs> and there it goes all over the place. Anybody else do that? That's almost as fun as trying to get it shut again. <laughs> Push that down. <laughs> We got stuff in there from back when I was in high school. I'm sure of it. <laughs> stuff that was handed down from my grandfather's junk drawer. But we look in there and it's like, you know, and, and have you ever noticed this? You got a, a thousand and fifty things in there and the thing that you're looking for, you can never find. Because it's never in there. And you go out and you buy that, that, uh, that well, I, I'm just looking for super glue. So you go to the store and you buy a three-pack of super glue. You bring back, you put one drop in it, and you put the rest where? In the junk drawer. <laughs> because you're going to need it again one of these days. But by the time you need it, you pick it up and it's dried out and, it's, and you throw it away. I don't know. It's hard to get rid of stuff. That's what Saul's problem was. He couldn't let go. He thought he knew better than God. He thought he could outsmart God. He thought God had made a mistake. And Saul disobeyed by keeping stuff that he thought was useful. And it comes back later and it burns him. But it doesn't just burn Saul. That's what we got to think about today. What we do today just doesn't affect us. Saul had probably never heard, he, he never met a man by the name of Mordecai. We know he never met a, a young lady by the name of Esther that were his descendants. And yet his bad decision was now just about ready to cost not only them their life, but his entire people their life. Because Haman was no longer satisfied with just destroying Mordecai. He said, I'm going to make it to where I wipe the entire Jewish people off the face of the earth. Saul saw it as having mercy on one man. But God saw the threat of leaving something that would cause harm alive to regroup and regain strength and come back later to wreak havoc in a future people. Sometimes we think that showing mercy to an enemy of God will 
get us favor in their sight. I, I've seen it happen. Oh, we try, to, we try to rub shoulders with the world. We don't want them to think we're too spiritual. We don't want them to think that we can't, uh, we, we can't uh, you know, uh, fit in to a certain degree. I mean, we don't want to be just like them, but, but we rub shoulders a little bit too much when the fact of the matter is there's some lines that we need to draw in our lives that said, I'm not going to cross that. I don't care if my best friend crosses it. I'm staying right here because I'm going to keep myself because there's coming a time when God is going to call upon me and I need to be ready because there's a time when my people that are in the future I don't just care about me I care about my daughters I care about my son and I care about my grandchildren but I care about my great grandchildren too and I don't want anything that I do today to affect their life a generation or two from now should the Lord not come back for another hundred years? I want there to be some little boys and some little girls running around by the name of Rice that never met their grandpa Doug and their grandma Lisa that we've already gone on to meet our reward. But I want to know that what I've done while I was alive and the decision that I made while I was still on this earth caused them to run around and come down to a, uh, an altar and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want those little Rice kids to know Jesus Christ even though they don't know me. Mordecai is living a lesser life because of a bad decision made by his forefather. Now Haman's devising a plan to completely annihilating, completely annihilate him and his people. God's got other plans. I want to be used. When the moment of decision comes, I want to be used. I want to be used in the right way. I don't want this church to be hurt because of me or a bad decision I make. I don't want my wife or my children or my uh, son-in-laws or my daughter-in-law to be hurt for a bad decision I make. I want to keep myself into a place where God can use me. I don't want to take one day for granted and think, oh, well, today I'm just having a bad day, so I guess I'll throw in the towel. I guess it doesn't matter much today. No, every day matters because every day could be the day that God says, I need you to talk now. I need you to speak up now. I need you to save some people right now I need to do my will right now today for such a time as this yes. I'm nowhere near done I want, I want to call the music decrees made that in a few months all the Jews were going to be killed and Mordecai now sees the real reason why Esther has been placed in the position that she is in You know, I, I don't know what Mordecai I thought. You know, he probably was like, well, you know, she's really attractive. She's really good looking. But all the other, all the other queens, are, they're beautiful too. Why is she getting noticed? Why is she, and I'm sure he thanked the Lord for it. But maybe in the back of his mind, he can't really understand where this is all coming from, why? And sometimes God will send favor into your life that maybe you don't understand and maybe you don't even completely deserve, but God just sends favor because he's trying to position you. So he tells his niece, 
You need to go before the king and plead our case. Here's the problem. You don't go before the king without the king summoning you, not even the queen. You don't just walk in, kick the door down and say, hey, I'm here. I got something I need to tell you. Now, my wife can approach me. She doesn't kick the door down, but she, she, she can approach me anytime. She's not afraid to come up to me, and I make myself approachable to her. If she's got something on her mind, she ought to be able to sit down and say, I need you to sit down and listen to me. I got something to tell you and, and have the expectation that I'm going to do that. But this was a different era, a different day. Things were handled differently. You didn't just go into the king unless the king summoned you. And if the king did not give you the signal that everything was okay, they just hauled you off and did away with you. It was that serious of an offense. That's why it's so important that we walk in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Because as Brother Jones said, if the Lord is directing our steps, then he's already opening doors and softening hearts for where the Lord is going to send us. If God speaks to you and says, there's a person over here that I just want you to give a phone call to, or that lady over there could just use a, a friendly gesture, a kind word. Well, I don't know them, God. You don't have to know them as long as you know Him. And if God is speaking to your heart, then He's already opened the door of theirs. Yes, yes, yes. She's mulling over in her mind, what, what, what do I do? What, you know? And that's when Mordecai probably sees the doubt in her mind as it would be in any of ours so you're telling me just go in there unannounced walk in on the king and hope for the best that's what I'm telling you to do and that's when Mordecai looks at her and he says listen <laughs> they're coming after us and don't think that just because you're the queen that you'll be exempted from this genocide that's about ready to take place. He said, but not only that, he said, I fully believe that the Lord is going to save his people whether you say yes or no. Because if you say no, Esther, even though God has prepared it, he's laid it out and he's planned this all, I can see it clearly. You still have the ability to walk away when God is calling you to step up. Would you stand with me today? Okay, puts this little gem in her mind. He said, I know there's doubt in your mind. Maybe you don't see things quite as clearly as I see it. Maybe you've gotten to the place where you're comfortable being where you're at. But I see it from my side of things and I can see how God has placed you 
in this position for this very moment in time. You are not here on accident today. And I'm not just speaking to some visitor that maybe I've not met yet. I'm speaking to every every if you've gone to this church for 60 or 65 years, I'm talking to every single one of us today. It's not by accident that we are gathered together in this service today. And I believe that God is trying to reach several and saying, I'm calling on you to make some tough decisions. I'm calling on you to draw some lines. I'm calling on you to separate yourself out from amongst the immorality and the impurity. And I'm calling you to a place where you can set yourself apart for my, my plan for your life. If you made mistakes, you better believe it. If you're human, you, you've, you've made them. But Jesus Christ went to the cross to cover your sin today and to give you an opportunity to walk into the throne room before the King and find His arms outstretched and His ear opened. He will hear you today if you're sincere. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.